today if you will stand and worship with us this morning. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all it's stealing. And you're desperate for some
Hey, good morning. How are we today? Good to see you today. I want to welcome you to Capital City. We're glad that you took time to come and join us on this day of worship. Uh, hopefully, uh, when you came in, uh, you've had a chance to grab a cup of coffee, maybe even grab you a snack bar. If not, run out and do that real quick. We don't want you to miss Doc's sermon, so go do that real quick while I'm talking, okay? Because mine's not nearly as important as his stuff is. But, hey, uh, my name is John Sutton. I'm one of the ministers here. We're just thrilled to have you with us today. Um, maybe on the chair back there in front of you, you'll see a card that might say uh, connect across the top of it. It's maybe red in color. If you're, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're new to Capital City, we'd love for you to just grab one of those cards, fill that out for us. Just want to get your name and address just so we can send you some information about the church. You can drop those off in the offering boxes a little later in the service. You can drop those off at the Welcome Center on your way out today. Uh, so every, well, not every year, but for the past, I don't know how many years, we have done what we call summer staycation here at Capital City. And uh, so throughout the summer, we're, we're doing different things each uh, Sunday, uh, just as, as a, hopefully to get you to continue to, to come and be a part of what's taking place here. And uh, of course, who doesn't love teddy bears, right? I mean, Winnie the Pooh, I remember uh, him as a kid. I remember when uh, Savannah was born, our daughter, her bedroom was Winnie the Pooh. Uh, it was interesting, somebody I saw recently uh, was uh, having a baby and they had the same Winnie the Pooh stuff that we did. So it's amazing how Winnie the Pooh just, just carries on for years after year after year, doesn't it? Well, what we're doing for the month of June, we're calling it our teddy bear month, okay? And what we're going to be asking you to do is to help us out by purchasing stuffed animals. It can be teddy bears, it can be puppy dogs, it can be rhinoceroses, it doesn't matter to me. And we're going to take and we're going to give these to our local first responders. So we're going to supply our county uh, police officers, our city police officers, our ambulance guys, uh, with, with teddy bears or stuffed animals so that when they come upon the scene of an accident that involves a child, they've got something to give to them to hopefully help soothe them, help, help, help them be able to connect with them. So if you can help us out this month, uh, every month we're doing a different nudge, and our goal is to get 1,000. So we're trying to, find a th trying to get 1,000 of these. You can just bring them in next Sunday with you. you got the whole month, okay? I saw this morning uh, some people have apparently already looked ahead and saw what was coming, and so... I think we've probably already got 20 or 30 that have been dropped off this morning, okay? Now, also, with usually our summer staycations, we usually have something that involves food, okay, that goes with our summer staycation as a, as a sort of just an enticement for you. So what better thing could we have with teddy bears than what do you think? Teddy Grahams, okay? So this morning on your way out, okay, we're going to have a we're gonna have table set up in the lobby. We've got Teddy Grahams. You can grab your little cup of Teddy Grahams, okay? So there's honey-flavored. There's chocolate chip. There's uh, chocolate, there's cinnamon, okay? So who's a cinnamon fan? Yes. Cinnamon. Who's a chocolate fan of Teddy Grahams? Okay, Steve Smith said those are the worst ones earlier, so I don't know if you agree with him or not. Chocolatey chip? Honey? Well, we're going to have them all, okay? So you feel free to grab you a cup on your way out, or two or three or however many you, you know, if you haven't had breakfast this morning, feel free to grab some of those. Let me share with you also a few other things that are taking, taking place here. Um, you know, last week, uh, a couple weeks ago, we had our, our next-gen sort of big day with uh, baby dedication and student ministry, things like that. And so we want to give you an opportunity to get involved here at Capital City. So, again, right out in the lobby by the Connections Room, we're hoping you're going to stop by and take a look at the different opportunities that we have for you to serve at Capital City, okay? Uh, so there's all kinds of opportunities that you can get involved in, whether it's in our kids' ministry, our student ministry, our worship ministry, our first impression team, a meal team, just all kinds of opportunities, our capable ministry. We've got all kinds of opportunities for you to get involved serving here at Capital City. We believe God has blessed each of us with a talent that he wants us to use 
in the church as well as outside of the church. And so come be a part of our team here at Capital City. Stop by, take a look, and see what we have for you. And also this morning, following this worship service, we have what we call our Getting Started 101. This is for those who, who may be still trying to figure out who Jesus is, what this thing about living a life with God is all about. And so we invite you to stop by the Connections Room. It's going to be crowded over in that area, but you just push your way right on through into the Connections Room. Doc will be there this morning leading our Getting Started 101. It's just an opportunity for you to ask a few questions. Uh, it takes maybe five or ten minutes. Uh, but if you're new to Capital City want to find out a little bit more about that, we would love to have you join us. Okay? So, again, stop by the table this morning. Stop by the lobby. Stop by the connection room. You know, one of the favorite things about Teddy Grahams is, is uh, the honey. I love the honey. And, and we're getting ready to sing a song of worship that talks about uh, the sweetness of Jesus and how it is sweeter than honey. So let's stand together this morning and continue to worship him today.
Trust in you. 
to trust in you, Jesus. Jesus, you've done so much for us, and we keep coming back to you over and over and again, like this, this never-ending well of grace and never-ending well of mercy and affection and love. We never leave unsatisfied. We are surrounded by this family, and they just pour out your love for each of us. They pour out your love into each of us so that we can pour on to the rest of this world, God. You've shown us what a sweet life actually looks like. You've shown us what it looks like to, to pursue something better than what this world has to offer. And you keep providing for us every time. You provide for us so that we can know physically that you are watching over us, but you're also watching over us emotionally and spiritually. Sometimes we get into these situations where we think, God, what are, you, what are we going to do? What, how are we going to get through this? And you say, I've got you. I have got you. Just trust me. Father, I trust you. I, I, I struggle so often, but I trust you. And I trust that your, your son has already done the work necessary. And all I have to do is sit along the ride. I just need to praise you. I need to worship you. I need to give you honor and let you be the one that is in charge. So we all do that today. We let you know that this life that you've given to us, it's sweet. It's wonderful. We do not want to abuse your grace. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Why don't you guys take a load off. Have a seat for a second. We're about to go to the tables. And what we're going to do is uh, something. If you don't come uh, th to this place normally and you don't know what it's about, we're going to go uh, around this room in just a few moments. And there's tables that we use for our communion service. And if you don't know what that is, we'd love to talk to you more after the service as well. This is a way for us to memorialize the work of Jesus Christ. We are here because of him. We are here because of what he has done. So each time that we gather together, we want to stop and celebrate what it is that he did for us, allowed us to be able to, to know God the way that we do, allowed us to have entrance into this family and to know him in this way as well. He's not just a God who's out there. He's dad. He's our father. And so this is a family meal. We gather together to remember, to kind of swap stories about Jesus Christ. And so when we go to the table, this is a way for us to take the bread and the juice. These are uh, emblems. They're, they're just elements that help us remember that his body and blood were sacrificed for each of us. And this is a, a place that you call home if you want to do that too. There's a, an offering box. This is an act of worship. It's an act of sacrifice if you want to give. You're under no obligation, but we'd love for you to be able to do this because you're offering it to what God has done in your life. We have this kind of odd thing that we do called a generous bucket as well. So if you've never heard of that before, it's a way for us to be able to reach out uh, to the community, you know, beyond just the normal offering. So if there's something that is on your heart that's tugging at you and you want to give beyond, that's what the white bucket is there for, to be generous in this place so that we can be generous in, with the family and outside of the community as well. I am so appreciative of the work of Jesus Christ in my life. I want to make sure that I'm constantly pointing back to him in everything that I do. And I want that to be what's on your mind as you stand and as you go to the tables right now.
I keep a quote by an old dead preacher named J. Haddon Robinson right next to my desk. He said, if these people, God used to pray this right before he preached, to the people, he says, God, if these people knew about me what you know about me, they wouldn't listen to a word I say. And this is one of those sermons, okay? This one gets right down to who we are. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray that you'll, that you'll nudge each of us this morning and that we will respond to your nudge. And we're grateful for your grace. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Now there's some verses in the Bible that sound really spiritual, so we talk like we believe them, but we don't live that way. Here's one of them. The Apostle Paul says, don't get tired of doing good. Don't get tired of doing good. At just the right time, you're going to reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. Now, do you buy that? Do you believe it? Do you do it? Have you ever quit doing a good thing because it wasn't fun anymore? Have you ever quit doing a good thing because you weren't getting the praise you think you deserved? I bet you have. And sometimes we just kind of get tired of being good, right? Sometimes we like to be a little bit bad. Sometimes more than a little bit. Because being bad is kind of fun, isn't it? So, let's not get tired of doing what's good. Really? You live that way? Have you thought about why we like to be a little bit bad sometimes? I mean, we're drawn to sin, right? As much as we hate it, I hope, we kind of like sin too. Sinners have more fun, right? Craig Rochelle puts it like this. He's a good pastor out in Oklahoma. He says, if sin is not fun, you're not doing it right. We enjoy the thrill of forbidden fruit. It's exciting. I think there's a rebellious streak inside every single one of us. There's this self in us that loves bucking someone else's rules even if those rules are God's. Now, I'm going to quote from an article from Good Housekeeping. I need to clarify, I don't read Good Housekeeping. <laughs> I don't have a subscription, and I don't want anybody trying to revoke my man card. But I was digging, yeah, right, thank you. I was digging around on the internet last week trying to unpack why we enjoy being bad, and I came across an article from Good Housekeeping, believe it or not. I wouldn't have been surprised if I'd found the article in Cosmopolitan, but good housekeeping. Here it is. Ten good reasons it's good to be bad, right? And it opens up with this. It says, behaving badly, at least once in a while, can ease your stress, put a smile on your face, and make your heart beat faster. No kidding. You buy that? Well, most of us live that way. And they even have a list of suggestions for you ladies, how to be bad. Are you ready? Ten ways. Number one, it says, gossip. Go for it. 
next time an acquaintance or does something selfish or unethical, you spill every gnarly detail. It not only feels good, it says it's a public service. Huh. Number two, flirt. And make sure you're flirting with a man who is not your husband. A waiter, UPS guy, it says flirting with others keep you plugged into your sexual energy and your self-confidence. Number three, it says read erotica. It'll give you new ideas, no kidding. And paving new avenues of thought is always a good thing, it says. Number four, spend the day in your PJs. I'm not sure why they call that one bad. Number five, procrastinate. And then tell yourself you're being creative. Just be lazy, it says. Number six, don't censor yourself. If you stub your toe, go ahead and swear. Because sometimes you just have to toss an F-bomb. It can ease the pain and it can help you bond with others, it says. Number seven, eat two desserts or have three cocktails. You're going to have a wickedly bad, great time indulging. Number eight, be gleefully grabby. You take the last cookie. You look out for number one first. Number nine, it says, be selfish in bed. If you're tired, phone it in. And number, it says it. I didn't say it. Number 10, get mad and stay mad. Don't forgive and forget. If you don't stay mad for a while, he's not going to learn his lesson. That's good housekeeping. And nearly every one of their strategies is the antithesis of God's way. And yet we live more like housekeeping than we live like Jesus. Don't we? Because we're kind of like there has to be some limits to this never get tired of doing good stuff. Right? So why is it that a lot of girls like bad boys? They'll tell you it's because they want to fix them, rehab, it, rehab them, but does it actually give them permission to be a little bit bad? Because it's exciting to walk the edge, isn't it? Why do boys want to be seen as a little bit bad? Why are advertisers so prone to market products with phrases like these? It's sinfully good. It's your sinful pleasure. Indulge and don't look back. Have a little sin and you'll never be bored. Life's too short to be good all the time. Sinning makes you human. Why not enjoy it? Live a little, sin a lot. Because the stuff sells. Even to us Jesus followers. One of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible is Romans 7, because the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Jesus followers ever, describes his own battle with sin. And some of his words kind of define me. He says, I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, and I do it anyway. However, Sometimes I wish I could say, I always want to do what is good. And I wish I could say, I never want to do what's wrong. But I'm not sure I would be entirely honest. Because sometimes I don't want to do what's good. I'd rather do what's wrong. You too, right? Sometimes it'd be more honest to say, I wish I wanted to do what is good. I wish I wanted to do no wrong. But there's something dark inside of us, even us Jesus followers. And goodness is not always attractive to us. 
And guys, this goes back a long, long ways, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. See, God creates this magnificent orchard, garden, estate for Adam and Eve, a superfluity of grace, profusion of whatever they needed, whatever is good. And God says, all of it, all of it's for your taking, except just for the fruit of one tree. So why is it that if someone were to tell us you can have anything on the table, anything, except this one thing? You can go to inside any room in this house except just this one room. You can do anything that you want except just this one thing. Why is it that most all of us, I suspect, would obsess over the one thing forbidden to us? Why is it that we would accuse our extravagantly generous God with being stingy? withholding out on us. Well, Adam and on, Eve could have gone anywhere. They could have spent their time anywhere else. <coughs> Excuse me. So why is it that they kept hanging around just the one forbidden tree, it seems? And the serpent, this Satan figure, takes advantage of their bent. And he says, did God really tell you not to eat the fruit of any of these trees? No, Eve says. We can eat from the others, just not this one. And it looks so good. And God told us you can't even touch this one or you're going to die. Which, of course, is a gross exaggeration, questioning the goodness of God. And the serpent is like this. You actually buy that? God's lying to you. You're not going to die. God isn't so good. God's just holding you back. Go ahead, do it. Now, what is sin really? I've always defined sin as essentially rebellion against God. But maybe it goes a little deeper than that. Would it be fair to say that whenever you choose sin, whenever you choose sin, you're either calling God a fool or a liar? I'm not going to die. He's lying. I'm not going to die. He's an impotent, clueless old fool. Which is it? Because it's exciting to diss God, isn't it? It's exciting to play God. I get to choose what is good for me. Who made God, God? And couldn't you argue that that attitude has kind of come to define us? The Apostle Paul says, all have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standards. He says, no one is righteous, no one does good, he says, at least God's kind of good. Now, I got to tell you, if I get to make the rules, I'm perfectly good, right? If you get to make the rules, you're perfectly good. But what if God can decide what he thinks is good or bad? Isn't all sin kind of like calling God a liar or a fool? You're wrong on this one, God. Just because you call it good doesn't mean it's good to me. You're just holding us back, God. You don't want us to be happy, God. You're a control freak, God. And the threats that you make when we disagree, I think you're impotent or you're lying. Isn't that what kind of lies underneath sin when we call God a fool or a liar? Hmm. So who does get to decide what's good? <clears throat> is that your call or is it God's? If you're a Jesus follower, we have said it's God's call, not ours, because he's like God, 
right? And if you disagree with God on what is good, does it matter? And what does a God kind of good, God kind of goodness look like? What does it look like to be good God's way? Well, I'm going to ask a few very strange questions that kind of get to what goodness looks like God's way. They're questions that I used to ask my students when I was a prof. Here's the first question, and this is for you Jesus followers. Would you be good if there was no heaven and no hell? Would you be good, would you? Now, I'm not talking about good as you define it. I'm talking about good as God defines it. Would you be God's kind of good if there was no heaven and no hell? Let's just assume for a moment that this life is all there is. Would you try to do life God's way if there was no reward for doing so and no punishment for not doing so? When I used to ask this question of the college kids, they were pretty honest. About half of them would say, yeah, I think I still would be a Jesus follower. And about half of them would say, what's the point? And I'd follow up with the second question. Let's say that not only is there no heaven or hell, what if being good doesn't actually make your life any easier in this world? What if doing life God's way does not keep you safe from disease? What if it means that it, you're not always going to be able to pay your bills or that your relationships with the people in your life are always going to be healthy? What if doing life God's way does not necessarily lead to the good life? Would you still do life God's way? Would you still make Jesus the Lord of your life? Would you? Kids at the college are pretty honest. A lot of them would say, what would be the point? And then I'd ask a third question. What if? What if there's not only no heaven or hell? What if not only being good doesn't make your life easier? What if actually being good actually makes your life harder, tougher? And the fact is that some people get stepped on in this world simply because they try to be God's kind of good. Sometimes doing life God's way makes it hard to live in this world because this world's at war with God. Well, what if these things were true? No heaven, no hell, no guarantee of an easier life. In fact, the probability that your life would be harder because you're doing life God's way. Would you still choose to do life God's way? Would you? Well, this will surprise you maybe. But did you know that this is the reality for many of the people in the Old Testament? As far as we can tell, most of the people in the Old Testament didn't understand yet about heaven and hell. That wasn't something God had revealed to them yet. And being a person of God didn't take your problems away. In fact, sometimes being a God person made your life harder because they lived in a world that was at war with God, which meant that it was often at war with the children of God. What's amazing is that so many of them still pursued God. What amazing faith. See, God didn't reveal the whole picture all at once. People at the beginning of the story didn't understand as much about God as the people later in the time of Moses. People in the time of Moses didn't understand as much about people, uh, people did later in the time of David. People in the time of David didn't understand as much about God as people in the time of the great prophets. Because in every generation, God was revealing a little bit more about who he was and how things worked. 
And none of the people in the Old Testament story understood as much about God as those who sat at the feet of Jesus, who was God in a bod. Fact is, the Old Testament just doesn't teach much on heaven and hell, except for a couple snips at the very end of the story. They seem to know that the dead went somewhere. They called it Sheol, but it wasn't a place of reward. It wasn't a place of punishment. It was just a place where the dead went. And that makes their faith in God so much more powerful to me. See, we Jesus followers put up with a lot in this life because we know that our struggles here are little in comparison with what God has planned for us in the future. Some of these guys were faithful even when nothing made sense. Even when their world was crumbling and God seemed silent. Some of those guys in the Old Testament were remarkable people of faith. They loved God. They loved good. Even when it cost them everything. They were trying to be good God's way, no matter what. Maybe my favorite passage in all the Old Testament is from the last couple of verses in a tiny little book called Habakkuk. And this is what he says. Though the fig tree does not bud and there's no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit, the harvest is just gone. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, they're facing starvation. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Though everything crumbles around me, he says, I'm going to love my God. I'm going to serve my God. I'm going to do good anyway, God's way. Do you understand how remarkable these words are? If your world was crumbling, could you say those words? Even believing in heaven and hell? So be honest, guys. Would you be good if there was no reward for doing the right thing and no punishment for doing the wrong thing? Would you be good if there were no consequences for being bad? A couple examples. I don't like the first one. Would you drive safely if there are no speed limits and no police? It's a tough one <coughs> for me. Would you cheat on your taxes? if the government would never discover the truth and God was going to give you a pass? Would you commit sexual immorality if you did not fear discovery or consequences even from God? Would you? I wish I could have found an update on these stats because this is from quite a few years ago. I suspect that the answers would even be more troubling today. But some male students at the University of Florida were asked whether they would use deception or coercion to get sex from a girl. How do you think they answered? About half of them admitted that they would. About half of them would say that they would force a girl to do something she didn't want to do if they thought they wouldn't be discovered, wouldn't be punished. 11% said they'd flat out rape a girl if they could get away with it. One in 10. Apparently other studies at the time showed about the same. So here's the question, listen guys. If these guys went out and restrained themselves on a date out of fear, are they being good? Are you good when you behave yourself because you fear the consequences of doing wrong? Listen, guys, 
Men who behave themselves out of cowardice may be law-abiding, but they are not good. Did you hear that? Men who behave themselves out of fear may be law-abiding, but they are not good. If a man pays his taxes because he fears the consequences of being caught, is he good? No, he's law-abiding, but he's not good. If a lady resists shoplifting because she fears the embarrassment of getting, thought of getting caught, is she good? No, law-abiding, but she's not good. If a man stays with his wife because he fears the consequences of divorce, is he good? He may be smart, but he's not good. If a kid keeps surfing porn sites on the internet because he fears the wrath of mom and dad if they find out, is he good? Guys, fear is a great motivator. I think parents need to use it. But the kid still has a good ways to go before he can be called good, before God. See, there's a really important distinction between being law-abiding and being good. You can force someone to obey the law. Goodness comes from the inside. You can force someone to obey the law, but someone who is good would act the same even if there is no law. God's kind of goodness is doing the right thing because that's who we want to be. God's kind of goodness is godliness. God's kind of goodness is God's character inside us. Goodness is doing the right thing even when it's hard because it's the right thing to do. God's kind of goodness is measured by who you are when no one is looking. God's kind of goodness is treating a date with respect, not because you fear the consequences of mistreating her, but because she's a child of God and she deserves respect. God's kind of goodness is remaining faithful to your husband or wife, not because you fear the embarrassment of divorce, but because we Jesus followers honor our commitments of love. <clears throat> God's kind of goodness is telling the truth when it's hard, even when it could cost you. God's kind of goodness is speaking God's truth with God's grace. God's kind of goodness is maintaining purity when we surf channels late at night or when we surf the net behind closed doors. It's hard when the forbidden fruit is so accessible. But goodness pursues purity because it's the right thing to do. God's kind of goodness is measured by who you are when no one's looking. And God's kind of goodness is flat out hard. We're not even sure we want to be good God's way. And when we try, we will not get there on our own. Like all of the fruit of the Spirit that we've been talking about the last couple of months. Which is why the Bible says the Holy Spirit produces, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. He is the one that you need to see these kind of things in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Every single one of these things, guys, God's way is flat out countercultural. And they're hard which is why it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to grow this image of God stuff in us. Because that's what the fruit of the Spirit is all about, guys. It's becoming godly, godlike, 
a God kind of love, a God kind of joy, a God kind of goodness, which is way, way richer and way, way deeper than theirs. Now, the Greek word that Paul uses here for goodness and the fruit of the Spirit is agathosune, means goodness. Agathos is the word for good. Probably the deepest of the words in Greek for goodness. Jesus says no one is good. No one is good except God, which is why it's a fruit of the Spirit. It also means this, guys. It means there's no real good. There is no real good unless it's God's kind of good. You don't get your own kind of good. You don't get to decide what's good for you. I don't get to decide what's good for me. Real goodness is God's kind of good. It reflects how God thinks. It reflects what God would do. In fact, you cannot be good if you reject God. I don't care how many good things you do. How can you be good if you reject the God, who God is, and who he sent to save you? I mean, God sent his son to die for your sins because God thinks you need his help. How can anyone be good if he calls God a liar or a fool? Goodness starts with surrendering to God, and it matures through the power of God's Holy Spirit inside of us. So do you understand what it really means to be good God's way? One of my favorite quotes from an old dead guy named Martin Luther is this one. He said, love God and do as you please. Love God and do what you want. Because if I really love God, and I really love the people I do life with, I don't need laws to make me good. A religious leader came up to Jesus one time and asked this question, what's the most important law in Moses? You remember how Jesus answered? He said there's going to be two. You've got to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you've got to love your neighbors yourself. And then Jesus said this, all of the law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two great commandments. They all come out of these two. Basically, Jesus was saying, love God, love each other, and do what you want. Because if you love God, you're not going to do anything to offend Him. And if you love those you do life with, you're not going to do anything to hurt them with God or with each other. Guys, if you're having a hard time being good, maybe the real problem is one of love. Maybe the real problem is that you don't love God enough or God's children enough. So, perhaps there are three kinds of people in the room. I know some of you guys are pretty serious Jesus followers. You actually do want to do life with God, for God, God's way. Because you actually think that that is the best life possible, even if it doesn't seem to work out that way in our world. For you guys, this piece. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. Don't get tired of doing what's good. Because at just the right time, you're going to reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. Therefore, he says, whenever you have the opportunity, do good to everyone, especially to those of the household of faith. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't get tired of doing good God's way, guys. I know it's going to get hard. The Holy Spirit's going to be inside you, nudging you, encouraging you, empowering you if you let him. Never stop responding to the nudges of our amazing God. 
There are others in the room. Some of you guys are kind of Jesus followers, but not entirely. You want to do enough to make it to heaven, but you don't want to be fanatical about this thing. You want to be more good than bad, hoping that's enough. You kind of want God's good, but you struggle when God's good doesn't match with your good. So when the Holy Spirit inside you nudges you or tries to guide you or convict you, you're not entirely sure you want to relinquish control. And here it is, guys. Because you push back, the love, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, and the self-control will continue to elude you. Because all of these things require a surrender to the Holy Spirit that God has planted inside of you. So please don't settle. Don't settle for less than you are, less than what you were made for. And some of you guys have not made Jesus the Lord of your life yet. Some of you guys think that you're good enough without Jesus at the center. It doesn't work that way, guys. Our goodness will not work without putting God first. I know this is going to sound hard, but your goodness won't matter to God unless you've bent your knees to His Son. I know there are people out there who don't think they need Jesus. Maybe some of you guys. Maybe some of you guys think that you're good enough that you're going to have to be accepted by God without Jesus. When you think about it, it's really like you're calling God a fool or a liar. God says you need Jesus. You think you're fine without him. One of you's wrong. We simply cannot be good and reject our God, the only one who is perfectly good. We cannot be God good and reject Jesus, God's gift to us. The only real goodness that matters starts when you bend your knees at the foot of the cross. You believe that? Guys, if you're a Jesus follower, keep responding to those nudges. Never get tired of doing good. If you're kind of a Jesus follower, give in. You want the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of those things, but they only come as we surrender to our God. If you're not a Jesus follower yet, let's get it done. It's the right thing. Never put off doing the right thing. I'm going to sit right down here. And there's next song or two. Just come on down and let's talk. Or just come to the the connections room after the service in our 101 class. I'd love to talk to you about making Jesus the king of your life. If you want to join this church family, come on down and let's talk. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for your spirit that you've planted inside of us. Give us the courage, give us the wisdom to do life your way. And thank you for your grace. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Stand and sing. If you curse me, then I will bless you. If you hurt me, I will forgive. And if you hate me, I will love you. I choose the Jesus way.
today.
Belong to a wonderful father. Uh, you can sit if you want. I'm not going to keep you long. I promise. Say, hey, just want to remind you what I remind what I told you about earlier. Stop by the connections area out there. We got our yes. I'm here to serve. We got plenty of opportunities for you. Grab you some Teddy Grams on your way out. Also, getting started 101 is taking place in the connections room. Doc is there. We're going to continue our summer staycation next week. We have what we're calling Holy Moly Sunday. Okay. Uh, who's anybody got an idea what we're going to have next Sunday for you? Do what? No holy water, somebody said. How about donut holes? Huh? Holy moly, okay. Maybe even some little putt-putting kind of things like that kind of stuff. So, and then, of course, you got Father's Day coming up, and it's become a tradition of ours. Bacon Sunday on Father's Day. We'll have all kinds of bacon for you, okay? And then the, the last one for the month of June is we're going to have our cookout Sunday. That's going to take place after the 11 o'clock service. So either you've got to adjust your worship time or you're going to have to come back, okay? But we want you to do that. Hey, uh... Hope you got a great week laid out for you. I know God's got something in store for you this week. He's going to use you in a great way, so let's get out there and do something big for God, okay? You don't have to go home, but you do have to leave. Thank you. <laughs>